this passage uh, really describes our, our theological spiritual reality. It, it describes our theological spirituality, but what it does is it, it is a beckoning, it is a calling. It is an invitation for us to apply these deep spiritual theological truths into a life of discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the things that, is, uh, that I like about classical uh, literature, whether it be Christian or non-Christian, and incidentally, the book of Romans is considered a classic, is that a good classic not only tells you things but it invites you to further consider them. And it invites you to give greater thought into what is written. Yeah, there's some great stuff written here, but every time I read this, my mind just takes off and I start thinking about the other truths of God and, 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 and what has been declared in other parts of God's word. But particularly, it starts to sink into how, do I'm, how am I going to live this? How am I going to live this? And so uh, this morning, um, I want to go ahead and start at about verse 9 of Romans 8. We, we covered some of this on Wednesday night. You, you, if you were here, you know that. And so I'm, I'm kind of doing a little bit of overlap into Sunday, a little bit of overlap into Wednesday night, but I'm also moving forward some. Actually, I'm going to back up into... Um, I'm going to go back to verse 5 really want to go to verse 1, but I'll go to verse 5, okay? I'm going to go ahead and read out of the New American Standard, uh, 2020. And it says, For those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. The new King James says enmity, which is a, an older word that really means hostile. Okay, he's hostile to God. Um, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation, or it does say in the New King James, we are debtors. That's an important piece that I want to bring out this morning. We are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, or excuse me, for if you are living in accord with the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. Father, we ask that you would open up our minds, open up our hearts, give us spiritual ears to hear that which the Spirit would say to your people this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. One of the things that, and, and one of the comments that I got last week was that I jumped around a lot, so I'm going to do that again, uh, um, like I did last week. Because part of what you have to understand here in the book of Romans is, remember it's very repeat, repetitive. Remember he cycles back and talks about things that he has talked about before. Uh, but that is a, that, that's kind of a, a, a Hebrew way of thinking because he's thinking very holistically. And, and instead of giving you this linear, uh, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that, then you're done. He, he's talking about the wholeness, so he keeps going back to the whole entirety of how we are to live as Christians. And the reality of our lives because we have received Jesus Christ. And so he, he keeps cycling back to these things. He's speaking more holistically, but it's almost as if he's inviting us into a conversation, which is part of what a good classical book will do as well. The, this reads, this portion reads a little bit like Plato. Uh, so he's drawing from some Hellenistic elements as well as, as he's writing this. And to me, it's fascinating. Paul was an incredibly brilliant man, incredibly educated man. Uh, and, and he's really given a lot to us here. But it, it sometimes is helpful to understand the genre or the style in which this was written so that we are able to glean more from it. It's, it's not really Western, okay? Western, again... You do step A, step B, step C, step D. You usually skip E and go on to F and then Z, right? That's kind of how we do things. But uh, you've got to remember that this was written uh, first century. They thought differently. They processed information differently. And so we kind of got to get into their world to really be able to glean uh, the things out of this uh, that hopefully we can receive. Um, now, this is really all covered by what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. We won't take the time to, to turn there. But this is really all covered with the idea that the believer is credited. Is credit. I love it when the bank credits stuff to my account, don't you? I wish they would do it more often, but they, they don't. But, but the reality is God has credited to your spiritual account what? Righteousness. Righteousness. And, 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 and with that, because we have been given that righteousness, this brings uh, in, into us this, this fear of the fact that we are saved. Uh, and, and, and yet, righteousness is more than just getting saved. As important as that is. Okay, you got to get the first base before you get the second base, right? Make sense? All right. So, if you haven't prayed to receive Jesus Christ into your life and, and made him the Lord of your life, that's the beginning. That's the beginning of righteousness. And yet, righteousness is something that is built upon here, is what Paul is describing, really not only in this portion, but, 
but in this particular letter. And, and he often, a very Jewish thing, he often layers this idea of, of being justified, that is being saved, being in a place of righteousness, being justified, and he layers it with this idea of also being sanctified, set apart, growing in Christ. And he's using the same terminology, and he really is addressing actually both ideas. I knew something was missing. Okay. So it's important to understand this as we read this, particularly when he talks about if, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the, sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness, which is kind of where uh, I really want to uh, begin here. I just really want to look this morning at verses 10, 11, and 12, maybe all the way out uh, into 14. But he tells us, again, if Christ is in you, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, and incidentally, I believe, and I talked about this last week, I believe the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ are two different terms referring to whom? The Holy Spirit. And so, if the Spirit of God is in you, if the Holy Spirit is in you, your body is dead because of sin. And boy, I tell you what, I racked my brain trying to figure out what in the world he's talking about. I did a lot of reading, went into the, into the languages, and, and your guess may be as good as mine on that, on this. So, but what I believe he's doing here, because earlier in the book of Romans, he has made the, the contrast. Remember, Romans is a lot of contrast, and he's contrast the spirit with what? The flesh. The flesh, the Greek word, sarks. That which refers to the fleshly nature, or the fleshly attitudes that we have, the worldly attitudes that we have. Now I think he's basically substituting, because it's a different Greek word. It's not the Greek word sarx. It's the Greek word soma here in verse 10 for when he talks about the body being dead, that essentially we have died to the world system is what he's, he's telling us. He's just using a different analogy, and he's also bringing it home. And he's making it very personal. Because the problem with the body that has died to sin is it wants to resurrect. I'm not going to go into the whole details of this. You guys know what I'm talking about. And, and we all have, we all, some of you are shaking your heads like, yes, oh, too well. But anyway, we, and we all have our Achilles heel. We do. We all have our Achilles heel, things that we struggle with. And, and, but what Paul is declaring here in verse 10 is that we are dead to that reality. We, our spiritual reality is something different than being enslaved to the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh or, or uh, the sin or, or the, the attitudes of the world. We have been called to a different paradigm. We have been called to a different sense of ideas and called to a godly character rather than a worldly character. And, and so what's interesting, though, is that he, when he uses the body, and I, I, I started thinking about this going, I, I, I don't know what to tell you guys about this. 
But my mind went to Romans 12, which we'll get there in about four months at this rate, right? Maybe in January. Present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. See, the body, the body is the place of sacrifice. The body is the place of submission. The body is the place of sacrifice. It is the place of submission. So, this really ties directly into what Paul is saying here in verse, I've got to find it here. This is, like I said, this is where it gets difficult. Um, in verse 13 where it talks about if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live verse 10 says the body is dead verse 14 says if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live do you see how they come together but again it's not linear notice I had to go look for it Um, it's not linear but nonetheless, it is very holistic in what Paul is expressing to us. First of all, that, so we have this body that, has, uh, that we have put to death and we do it by the Spirit, by the way. Because the body is the place of submission and sacrifice. And then second of all, we are, and I'm going to come back to this, by the way, but second of all, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. The spirit is alive because of righteousness. And, and so, different translations on this. Uh, now, I believe the New King James, um, it has the word spirit capitalized. I haven't turned to it yet. Somebody nod at me. Okay, New American Standard does not. Not only do translators translate, they interpret, okay? Not only do they translate, they interpret. You can go either way, I think, with this because the reality is, verse 14 says that if you're going to put to death the deeds of the body, you do it by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit that breathes life into us by coming and dwelling in us. The body has been dead. We have been buried with him. Jesus Christ, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. The, the, the water baptism being a symbol of the spiritual reality that happened to us when we were born again. Everybody with me so far? This is, this is tough stuff. Oh, okay. So, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if we are alive, I love this in verse 11. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to this a little bit, but let's go forward just a moment. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raises Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 11, verse 11 is an incredible promise. And do you see what Paul is saying here without saying it? He tells us that our lives are alive because of the Spirit. The Spirit is alive because of righteousness, verse 10. And the Spirit will raise us from the dead one day. So it really is the same uh, uh, 
motif or the same construct of thinking that I have taught you guys on and on again about the uh, kingdom of God where the kingdom of God is here. But the kingdom of God is not yet here in its fullness. We are alive because of the spirit, because of righteousness. And one day when this body that is already dead finally does die, we will, be ri- we will be risen from the dead because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That is an incredible promise for us, for ourselves, for our loved ones who have gone on before us. They, they are more alive today in the presence of God than they ever were walking the face of the earth. And I trust in that. And I rest in that. And the, spirit, the spiritual reality is the true reality. This is, this is more like a veneer. We just, don't, we just don't understand that very well. And so we, we have this, what Paul is saying here, yes, we're, we're alive because of righteousness. In this life, the body is dead. One day, we're going to see it in its fullness. One day, we will rise from the dead. One day we will see Jesus face to face. One day we will know as we are known. I, I, I get lost thinking about that because it's so beyond me. It's so beyond my, my experience. And to be honest with you, at times I think about it and it's kind of scary, but, 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 but I trust in him. Because this is an incredible promise that he's given us that the, the, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How that's all going to work, the raising up of our mortal bodies, I don't know. But if he says he can do it, I know he can do it. He spoke the universe into existence. Can he not raise up our mortal bodies? To perfection. You'll see me with the guy with dreadlocks all the way down to his waist. All right, that's perfection. <laughs> I'm going to have really long hair in heaven to the glory of God, man. I can't wait. So then it tells us then we have an obligation. Or it tells us, I might as well get there in the New King James for you. It tells us that we are debtors. Now, I find this really interesting because Paul talks about the free gift of God. Salvation is a free gift. Is, did, did he change his mind here? No, I don't think he changed his mind here. But he tells us that, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. The New American Standard and a few other versions, I think the ESV also translates this word debtor's obligation, which is probably a better translation. Uh, I don't want to get into that this morning, but, but it's really strange because I, uh, this is almost like a reversal of how Paul, 
in his teaching because he t- talks so much about grace, grace being unmerited favor. And then he comes along here and he talks about us mortifying the deeds of the flesh, mortifying the body. The body is dead because of sin, but uh, the, the spirit is alive because of righteousness, which speaks of submission and sacrifice. And then he tells us that we're indebted. Isn't that strange? What is he referring to? But we're not under obligation to the flesh. He is making making a distinction. We are not under obligation to the flesh. He's making that distinction. We are obligated to the spirit. But in what way? You've already heard it. I've said it a few times. Submission and sacrifice. That's where we're obligated. Because the reality is, I, now, God has a way of convincing us. Does he not? I didn't want to be a pastor. <laughs> I told you guys this, right? I wanted to do other things. I just won't even go into that today. But God has a way of opening doors and convincing and, and, and calling and, and drawing, and, 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 and sometimes, sometimes he hammers on us even. I'm going to maybe get to that a little bit later. But, but he calls us to a place that we are desiring to submit our lives to him and sacrifice to him because I, I, I believe by and large we do not grow spiritually unless we want to. Now, it's the work of the Spirit. It's not a work of us. But by and large, I don't believe we grow spiritually unless we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and allow him to do some work in our lives. And sometimes that work is very painful. And without jumping ahead too much in this this passage, I think that's part of what it means to suffer with Christ. I think of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, Luke 22, tells us that Jesus was in severe agony. What does that tell me? It tells me that he has some serious reservations in some way, somehow, some form of going to the cross. And he even prayed, if, this, if it be your will, what? Let this cup pass from me. In other words, can we save him any other way? The fact that Jesus went to the cross when he really could have saved us any way he wanted to fascinates me. The fact that he would suffer. The fact that he would endure hardship. For goodness sake, he comes to this world out of heaven. He comes in the flesh, first century Judea, where there's no air conditioning, there is no cars, there are no taxis, there are no trains, there is no internet, for goodness sake, and there's no cell phones. What was he supposed to do? Think about it. Boy, he wouldn't have made a good millennial, would he? Sorry. Anyway. (laughs) Suffering in the flesh. Suffering with incredible agony, saying, Lord, if not my will, but your will be done. And sometimes the changes that God has desired to make in my life, I really didn't want him to make them. Ever been there? 
I or I really did not want to go through what I was going to have to go through to get there. But we're under obligation. Because it is by the Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. It is by the Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Why? Because the Spirit, you can capitalize it. I'm going back to verse 10, by the way, if you're not following. You can either capitalize it or not capitalize it. It's still a work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. So I got interested in this. I told you we're going to come back to this. Because the body is what? Sacrifice, submission. Righteousness. Righteousness is sacrifice. Righteousness is submission. Sacrifice. And, and w without taking the time to turn there, but I will give you the references. The peace offerings that we see in the Old Testament. They were sacrifices of righteousness, particularly with a peace offering. But I, I, peace offerings wouldn't have been too bad, right? Because you, you bring in your lamb or your, your bull and you sacrifice it, but you get a portion of the sacrifice. And you get to have a barbecue with you and your family and your friends. And, and it was a, this idea of being at peace or in communion. What's interesting because not only were you in communion with God, you were in communion with others. And that was the sacrifice. Deuteronomy chapter um, 33 verse 19 tells us it was a sacrifice of rightness or righteousness. Psalm 4 verse 6 says this as well. One verse that I, I think I want to do read to you is in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, that, that great psalm of repentance by David. Remember how I told you I'm always worried about typos in my notes that I'm going to go to the wrong, fra uh, wrong reference? And I never have yet. Well, strike that. I now have. Because I got the wrong reference here. But it, I, 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 I found it. The sacrifice is verse 17. Oh, let's back up to 14. Deliver me from guilt of bloodshed, O God, that the God of my salvation... And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Then it says, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. 
build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, the burnt offering and the whole burnt offering. Then shall then they shall offer bulls on your altar. So it, it, he's talking about a sacrifice of, of a contrite and broken heart that enables him to be able to do the sacrifice as given in the book of Leviticus. So first and foremost, if the body is a place of sacrifice, it really does not begin in our physical body as much as it begins in our hearts. And we've been called to this place of sacrifice in our hearts. And and the, the sacrifice of God is a broken and a contrite heart. Also, it is in submission. Without going there, Psalm 23 says to lead me in the path of righteousness. So it is righteousness, uh, the, the idea of intermingled with the body. Righteousness is an act of sacrifice. It is an act of submission. And that's what Paul is, is really bringing forth, I believe, here as he, he's talking about this. See, what Paul realizes, I think, is that, that while we have, we have, I think, as Christians, we have incredible privilege um, through, through a victorious living through the Holy Spirit, we don't automatically follow God's will, do we? No one wants to agree with me on that one, do you? We don't automatically follow God's will. In fact, I, I, I've shared with you before, I've had people tell me, God told me to do this, and, I, and it was as if God spoke to me audibly and saying, no, I didn't tell him that. Of course, what do you do with that? With me, I keep my mouth shut, to be honest with you. I, I stay out of that. If you think God told you, then, you know, God bless you. How's that? But the thing is, If we are truly following the Spirit of God and we truly have a heart to follow him, yeah, we will make mistakes, I think. I think we do. I think we make mistakes. I think we miss here. Uh, But we don't always automatically follow his will. And therefore, what he's saying is that, that you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. And that makes a lot of sense to me because I don't want to put to death the deeds of the body. And if you're honest, neither do you. And so it's this idea of calling upon the power of God's Holy Spirit to enable us to put to death the deeds of our body, to put to death our worldly attitudes. And then it tells us that, that we are led by the Spirit of God. And if we are led by the Spirit of God, we are the sons and we are the daughters of God. So we are led by God's Spirit. Kind of a quick recap, and then I've got one more thing to, to top this off with. We are led by God's Spirit. We are debtors. We have an obligation. But that debt or that obligation is really a call to discipleship. It is a call to discipleship because discipleship in, in its, um, 
raw form is basically this idea of growing in Christ. It's this idea of being set apart, this idea of being sanctified. It's this idea of being, being a follower of Jesus, walking in righteousness rather than just receiving him as Lord and Savior, having that righteousness, but actually living that righteousness out. Which hopefully, by the power of the Spirit, we get better and better at that. But it takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. And so then by the Spirit, thirdly, we put to death the deeds of the, of the body. So, what we have here is a calling, I believe, to respond to the Holy Spirit. And when we are convicted that we do business with God and we respond to the calling of the Spirit, we respond to his voice by enabling him, asking him, because I can't do it, but I, I ask him to put the death of deeds in my body. And the danger of that, the danger even of hearing messages like last Sunday, if you weren't here, it'll be up on the web soon, but the danger of that at times is, is that we can get caught up in the moment of the sorrow or the moment of conviction. Now, we need those moments, I think. I think we need those moments. We need those moments when the Holy Spirit says, you've got to stop doing this. And, and, but I think what happens is we get caught up in the moment, but then we re re neglect the follow-through. We neglect the follow-through. In other words, I feel convicted by the Spirit that I need to change something in my life, and I and and um, I feel bad, or I feel disturbed, and okay, I feel bad, I feel disturbed, and I'm I'm going to do better. And you make that resolution very short in your own heart, and but but nothing changes. We we grew up in a church where we altar call every Sunday. Right? And there were times that, I don't remember certain people, even in the youth group, man, they, they were always, almost every Sunday, they'd go forth and repent again. Right? They were like professional repenters, right? <laughs> we'll talk later. Anyway, and, and, and I think there's a, there's a place for that. But what happens with that, if, if that becomes our mainstay, follow me on this, all right? We're finally getting into, this is where, I think this is the really important stuff to, to grab. When that becomes our mainstay, we get addicted to feeling guilty. We get addicted to feeling convicted. And as long as we feel it, what it's called, it's called a catharsis, all right? You have, an, you have an event, and it, it invokes an emotion, and, and we confuse the catharsis with repentance. This is really important. I, re, I remember there was this guy, and I loved his music back in the 70s, and you go to his concerts. He was a piano player, Keith Green. Anyway, and he would just, he would just get out the flamethrower. 
and just hang everybody over hell. You're not doing this, and you're not doing that, and you're not doing this, and you're not doing that. And, and you know, and, and people love that. But guess what? They still didn't do this, this, that, this, that, that. that. You know what I mean? Nothing changed. There was no repentance. Now, he was a good musician, and, and I think he had a prophetic voice that people really didn't heed. I don't think he was the problem. But it's one thing to be a hearer of the word, but James tells us that we also must be a doer of the word. And to me, it is a whole lot harder it is a whole lot harder to submit yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body and allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ than it is to feel guilty about something that you're doing. Because the first requires a commitment of a lifetime. Because if I'm not constantly allowing the Spirit to put to death the deeds of my body, I will go back to them. It's inevitable. And as I've shared with you guys before, the problem with older folks is that the flesh does not get better. It does not get reformed. It doesn't, it doesn't get better. It's the Spirit that becomes more like Christ. That's why Paul is saying here, you put to death the deeds of the body. The body is not reformable. The spirit can grow in the knowledge and, and in the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the thing is, Jesus told us in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 23 through 26, if anyone come after me, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We don't, we would never admit that we do this, but we try to negotiate that all the time with him, don't we? And, and the the problem with taking up your cross daily, denying yourself and follow Jesus, it, it's just not a lot of fun. It really isn't, often. And what it really is doing, it is walking a, the path of a long, slow, painful death. It's putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. See, Paul is dovetailing what Jesus talked about, about taking up your cross really well here. And it, it, is, it is a day-by-day -day thing. It is a thing that we do as we leave here. It's a thing that we do as we wake up tomorrow morning and throughout the whole week. That's what discipleship is. Because the reality is the body is about Submission and sacrifice. You see, this passage, as I said at the very beginning, is about our theological spiritual reality that beckons us 
toward a spiritual application of discipleship. It is describing the work of the Holy Spirit in conforming us into the image of Christ. Our obligation is to submit to his lordship. He will lead us. Says it right there in verse 14. The question is, will we follow?